Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and for this week at Le Mans, Genetic Cars. We're doing another special feature, piggybacking off of Corvette Racing's Doug Feehan, bringing us 20 years worth of memories from Le Mans, actually doing the opposite, unfortunately, and that is saying farewell for the Ford GT program run by Chip Ganassi Racing, bringing this four-year visit to Le Mans to its conclusion. Two cars run from the U.S., two cars run from the U.K. in the World Endurance Championship. We have two IMSA entries, two WEC entries, four cars saying farewell as a factory program. And for this, look back on a somewhat brief but very popular and also very successful, immediately right out of the gate winning on their debut in 2016, we have the boss of Ford Performance, that being Mark Rushbrook, person who helped bring this to life. We then move on to dear friend of mine, one of the absolute heart and souls of this program, Joey Hand, from the cockpit of one of the Ford GTs. Actually refers to himself lovingly as a GTOG, having actually been there before the GT program lit off with Ford and Chip Ganassi Racing. And we close with Mike Hull. One of the dear friends of our podcast, managing director for Chip Ganassi Racing, and also someone who held a lifelong dream of competing at Le Mans, able to achieve that dream here with this GT program, now coming to an end again after four years. So we start with Mark, move to Joey, close with Mike, and hopefully you enjoy some of their tales. Also, some of the inside stories, the characters that have made this program a very memorable one. Brought to you here in the Marshall Pro Podcast, presented by Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, and Genetic Cars. So, Mark Rushbrook, we're at something that wasn't unexpected, right? There's always going to be an end date for this glorious Ford GT program at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Might like to see if I can somehow extend this a few more years into the future, but knowing that 2019 is the planned conclusion of seeing these glorious four GTs in action at Circuit de la Sarthe. Thought it'd just be fun, a little bit of a celebration, a little bit of a farewell type theme, just talking about the program as a whole. And I thought maybe let's start with its initial concepts and formation, knowing that a, a new Ford supercar had been announced. Where did the concept of making this really a purebred supercar that can also go racing and head to France and try and continue Ford's tradition of success there. Where did that enter the frame in the Ford GT's initial concepts? Well, I, what I saw coming into this job um, in as the motorsports engineering manager back in December of 2013, um, it was already an idea. Uh, it wasn't approved at that point in time, but it was an idea, and that was um, – part of my reason to accept the job um, was knowing that there might be the possibility to work on a Ford GT program on a racing program and, and going back to Lamar. So the official concept was there already by the end of 2013. And, and we, we worked through and, and got approval uh, in 2014. And it was just tremendous to be a part of that and putting together the, the, the blocks of what would ultimately become the, the GT racing program. And, 
great partners like Multimatic and uh, Chip Ganassi Racing and Roush Yates Engines uh, to be able to have it become a reality. So looking at how this came together, how this was announced, I was really happy and fortunate to be there for the announcement at Le Mans. Just pulling the covers off of that car in the room there, uh, actually, as we we're kind of staring at the uh, the Ford chicanes as well. The, the physical location of the unveiling was also uh, well done. Why don't you share some thoughts, Mark, on just that day and the reactions that you saw from folks, from media, who, again, maybe had a good idea of what would be uncovered, but just the overall feeling of the Blue Oval coming back with something where they wanted to continue, add more victories uh, to something that definitely in the 1960s is a huge, huge part of American sporting culture. Yeah, it's something that, because at that point in June of 2015, it's something that we had been working on for over a year and a half, but we couldn't openly talk about it and had to keep it secret for so long. But so many people knew that we were doing it or, or thought that we were doing it, but we could never confirm it. So in some sense, it was a big relief to finally be able to tell the world what we'd been working on and what they had suspected and, and that it was true and that we would, as a company and with great partners, be coming back the following year in 2016 to, to race the new 4GT and, and try to celebrate the 50-year the anniversary of the 66 one. So this program, I think, became rather proudly adopted by many folks kind of right out of the gate. What do you recall from the early stages of just fan reception uh, from maybe fellow drivers? Because obviously you had to select drivers that were going to represent the team. Uh, What do you recall from the early stages of getting this up and running uh, as its debut not just from a, a season-long championship phase in 2016, but also thinking about going to Le Mans and who you might put in there. What do you recall from just general reaction uh, from fans and such about this new thing that was being formed? Well, the reaction from the fans from before we announced it and with their anticipation of it and after we announced it and got ready to go, it was so positive to have Ford coming in back into the sport um, at that level with that mission um, and with such a great history, so many people in support of it. As far as the, the drivers, and that was a great thing about the program, once it was announced and confirmed, or even before then, there were so many people that wanted to be part of the program and especially the drivers to be able to drive a Ford GT in a factory program with that very special mission that um, it was fantastic going through the process of selecting those drivers and um, with with Chip and, and Mike Hall on the, the IMSA side of it and uh, with them also involved in the WEC side with George Howard Chapel and Larry Holt to select the drivers, not just as individual drivers, but as pairings in the cars and across all four cars to make sure that we had the strongest lineup of drivers that would also get along um, and be part of the team. And that's part of what has made it so special is 
it's been a great team from the drivers to the mechanics to the engineers um, to be part of that and something special, just like working at Ford Motor Company is special as part of the Ford family. Um, we felt that extension in this program with our partners and all of the individuals involved that it's been a tremendous journey together. So looking back to this 2016 Le Mans debut, Mark, the outcome, well-known, pretty amazing, winning on your debut. All right, well, set the bar a little high there, pal. You know, you might might want to ease into it a little bit, but um, that seemed to be, boy, if you'd said we're going to go to Le Mans once with this new car and however we do, that's just going to be the car's story, it would have been a fairy tale I'd say it still has been amazing. Obviously, there, there's there been uh, maybe not the year-by-year success at Le Mans to match that, but there's definitely been some great new stories told. Let's talk about that 2016, though, that kicks things off. Sebastian Bourdais, a son of Le Mans, standing on the podium along with his teammates, Dirk Mueller, Joey Hand, uh, also blasting Mr. Ford in the face with champagne up the nose. I believe that was a great photo that I happened to capture too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knowing that you're here, you know, looking at least for now with what Ford's doing, this is the end of this program. What comes to mind when you think back to how that 2016 race played out the fight with the, uh, Ricci competition Ferrari, and then ultimately winning on your debut. It's dreamlike stuff. It's one of the things I realized in the middle of the 2016 race, because from the day I I came in and joined this team in December of 2013, it was hard, hard work 24-7 because we had such an aggressive goal and such a mission that the company had put us on that I think literally remember in the, in the middle of that 2016 race, it, it, it suddenly struck me. It's like, holy cow, we've been working so hard on this for so long. Here I here I am. We are together in the middle of the race already. It was almost like because we've been working so hard, didn't realize in some sense that we were getting there. And suddenly there we were in the middle of the race and we had competitive cars. And it, it was a fantastic race, especially with Ferrari and, and the Ricci car. Um that it was almost surreal that suddenly after working so hard, we were there in the race and, and for it to play out as it did through the night and, and finishing the race um, on Sunday and being able to celebrate with Edsel Ford, who had been there 50 years earlier and, and Bill Ford and all of our senior management with Joe Hendricks and everybody was just an unbelievable moment in the, company's history and to be there and be part of it um i felt so very very lucky to to be part of it and as you said even though we haven't had the wins in 2017 and 2018 we've had podiums um and we've had fantastic races and and fantastic finishes and even those have been an incredible part of of the mission of what we're trying to do in terms of telling our story about our company and innovation and tech transfer and um, winning a race is, is really, really hard, especially Lamar. And even being on the podium is really, really hard. And 
it takes everything going right just to get on the podium. So we're proud that we've been able to be on the podium every year so far and excited to go back this year with, with four great cars again, with, with the drivers coming back and the same team members coming back and looking forward to repeating again. So looking at how this 2019 swan song at Le Mans is being offered, well, first of all, I'm a little bit mad at you, Mark, because I'm already trying to cut down on my scale model purchases. And with the the four uh, retro honoring liveries plus the amazing Ben Keating livery with his GTE AM 4GT, I can already tell there's five 4GTs that are going to be burning a hole in my pocket to buy those models. Tell us a little bit about that decision, though. Because, you know, for some manufacturers who announce ahead of time that, all right, this is going to be the end for us, they go, they celebrate, they do things. Not necessarily always a big effort to also tie in tradition, but that has indeed been the way you, that, uh, you and your team want to say farewell. Yeah, it's... um. It, it was a big decision. It was a hard decision. And, and the team will tell you, I was one of the hardest to convince. Um, and, the, and the discussion even went back to how were we going to bring the cars in 2016? There was some talk then of our first race back with the new cars, having a, a celebration of the heritage liveries and the decision made for 2016, um, which was not mine at the time, but was we want to create our own legacy, our own point in time. We want to have a livery that's recognizable 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now of the four GTs that raced in the 2016 timeframe. So that was the decision made for 2016 to have all four cars the same, to create that identity in that period of time. And that was, I think, definitely a, a, a great decision and, and has worked out well because instantly it's recognizable what that what that livery is. And yes, we changed colors, updated colors in, in 2018, but um, with the same scheme. So when we started talking about 2019 and what do we want to do, and there were a lot of discussions about the benefits of sticking with same livery as 2018, carrying it over to 2019 or celebrating in some way. And it started to feel right at that point, um, knowing um, what what the future of the program was and, and that it would be our last time back near term um, with four factory cars that we wanted to celebrate it and not be sad about it. But we're, we're proud of, of what the program has been and wanted to make a connection to the 60s 66 or 69 but do it in in a way to tie it to the current car and celebrate in the idea to use the 68 as the 2016 winner to consider that one of the liveries that were historical liveries that we're celebrating was i felt just a great way to do it tying them together with common stripes and especially with the the am car with ben keating and his team um, we're there as a family again, all, all the, the five cars are related and connected in a, a great way to celebrate the company and, and our presence at Le Mans. Two last things to close Mark. This is maybe looking a little bit to the future and that's on the topic of these GTs. 
you and I had a conversation a couple months ago about how a relationship with someone like Ben Keating is something that you're really happy to have commenced, to have sold one of the fleet of GTs to him. You also told us that you would be having, you and, and your team would be having additional conversations with others who've expressed interest and in maybe continuing the 4GT uh, efforts, but on a private, you know, non-factory level. Just curious if you can give us an update on just how that's going, because I know we're going to miss the factory efforts at Lamar, but uh, who knows? Hopefully Ben and maybe others will be there uh, doing it uh, as independent members of the, uh, the Ford GT family. Yeah, there's been great interest in the cars and in racing them, but just like it took time to set up the initial program. And, and as I mentioned, the importance of the right partners and the right people, um, that's where we've been going slow um, to make sure that we find the right pairings because we believe these cars were biased, obviously, but we believe these cars are, are very, very special and want to make sure they have the, the right home and the right way to continue on track in the future. So stay tuned. Um, more to come. Well, let's close on this, Mark. Is there a memory of the Lamar visits that you've done so far, knowing that there's still obviously one more to complete here in a few days, but is there a personal memory that stands out to you from this Ford GT project that hit the circuit in 2016 that you cherish, you take pride in, or maybe a tale you know you're going to be telling kids and family and friends for years to come? Um, am I allowed to tie in Daytona? You can tie in whatever you want, brother. We're selling, we're, again, this is... The program isn't ending overall uh, this weekend at Le Mans, but uh, we know that we still have some good stuff in IMSA. But tie in whatever you like, because we're just trying to pay tribute to something that's been pretty awesome. Yeah, it's to me, and it's been well documented, so maybe it's an easy answer, but it, it was very so personal to, to me and to the team. But obviously the way we started with this car at the 24 Hours at Daytona in 2016 and and certainly suffering some setbacks and issues that hadn't shown themselves despite all the testing that we had done in, in preparation. But uh, as as hard as it was to, to suffer that at Lamont or at Daytona in 2016, what I even felt during that race as that suffering was going on was how strong the team stayed together because when we had our, our issues we didn't just pack up the cars and go home we worked on resolving those issues and we said this is our opportunity to get a real 24-hour test and we used that to learn through that race and to work very very hard after daytona to because we knew we had to be on the top of our game just just five months later at, at lamas so it was it pulled the team together stronger than we had been before Daytona and galvanized us and helped us uh, attack Lamar in June and to, to be successful. So it was that, to me, that experience and uh, how much stronger it made us for, for success. Well, I wish I could be there to see you guys turn your final lap at Lamar, but definitely just as a lifelong sports car racing fan, I realize that I do this kind of sort of for a living, but this podcast of mine here, it's more of a, a passion project. Um, 
thanks for everything you guys have done. We don't know what the future holds. That's not what today's conversation is about, but definitely hope that we are not uh, seeing the Blue Oval sign off from Lamar for too long because you guys are a heck of a lot of fun and have really helped us to tell some really, really engaging stories since this program commenced. Yeah, it's been great, uh, everything that we've done, and definitely appreciate the relationship with you and uh, how we work together. That's all good. Joey Hand, you are getting ready to make your final appearance in a factory Ford GT at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Knowing that you came into this program, you want to talk about a true program OG, even though it's only a couple of years ago. Uh, you were hired before the Ford GTs were a thing, so maybe we should start there. What was, uh, what was the situation like? What were the conversations like when you were looking to come over and join the, uh, the Ford folks, the Chip Ganassi Racing Team, Originally, when it was a Daytona prototype effort, uh, while I believe the GT program was being thought about and crafted in the background. Yeah, well, I guess that makes me an OGTG, right? The original <laughs> GT guy. That makes, I think that's an OGTG. Yeah, that's, um, you know, the interesting thing is I didn't know, I didn't know anything about to be honest with you, I didn't know the GT stuff was coming down the pipe. They weren't telling me that even. I came to Chip because, you know, Chip's like, hey, come drive for me. Uh, at the backside of the pits in Atlanta, the Petit Le Mans race in 2014, I'm like, uh, yeah, sounds good, Chip. And uh, <laughs> he's like, I got some good things going. We got some great, great stuff going forward. It's going to be great. Um, but I can't tell you all about it right now. So it took a little bit, you know, I, I, I signed up with Chip and I knew for sure we were going to be running the, the DP car and I was going to drive with Scott Pruitt. I knew all that part. Um, and that was, that was cool, cool enough for me. Um, and then as I got into, um, you know, got closer in there and we started doing the DP stuff and they're like, oh, this is what's coming down the pipe. We're going to do, we're going to take this engine we've been developing and we're going to run it, um, in a Ford GT and we're going back to try and win Le Mans on the 50th anniversary. So, you know, it was, I have since then, you know, remembering those, that those days of talking about it since then, I've learned a lot about more about the history of Ford. I wasn't that switched on to the whole Ford Ferrari thing, you know, in the sixties, I didn't really get it uh, until I, until we started talking about going back and I started like, you know, read the books and look at the history and stuff like that. And, um, and then it started to click a little bit on well, kind of how big of a deal it was, you know, how big of a, how much history there was and how much opportunity of making history there was for us again, you know? So, um, but I, it was cool to be the original guy. It got me the better spot in the lockers, uh, in the truck. <laughs> so I got to pick, and Briscoe, I mean, I since I was already there, I got the I got the best spot. Briscoe got the second best spot, so he had already since he had already been at the team with IndyCar stuff. Yeah. So and then Dirk and Westy got the you know average spots where they got to share they got to share one pole to hang their clothes on. So this I got I had that going for me. Uh, <laughs> the 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 biggest shocker here, Joey, and full credit to Ford. 
they got you to read a book. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, actually. Your teachers. That, have you told all your teachers throughout the years, like, I know I really didn't listen to anything you told me and I, told, I pretended to read during your classes, but finally, at the age of 30-whatever, I, I read a book. Yeah, that's actually true. You know me so well. I'm not a huge book reader. So I do all my – I get all my stuff from men's health. Everything I know, my high school <laughs> Jeopardy level is all thanks to men's health. As they say it on the top of the magazine, uh, 100% useful. So, Jerry Hand, you are. magazine is what's filled up with my filled up in my bag. You're so. you're just a gem of a human being. So yeah, we're absolutely. we're obviously celebrating. You know, I don't want to say the premature end. It's just with as cool of a program as the Ford GT effort has been, uh, especially here at home. And obviously, we still have a couple more months of that, but also uh, in particular Le Mans, which we're celebrating this week. Let's talk about first impressions. So you're racing with not my brother, Scott Pruitt and DPs. You kind of get read in uh, privately. You get the the old top secret folder to flip open and take a look at the, uh, the GT that's being built. Tell us about some of the initial impressions of the car. I think you also mentioned something funny when we spoke yesterday about uh, efforts to kind of hide that the original car and such being swapped around from transporter to transporter. But what were those early kind of pre uh, revealing to the world days like when you knew the GT was definitely on the road to being completed? Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing you saw was, you know, we saw the renderings in all black and carbon fiber. And then, you know, I actually got to see the car, um, the original test mule they were running up in Toronto. I think Scott Maxwell was driving it originally. Um, and you never know what somebody's going to come up with, a designer, you know. I had no idea. I thought, man, I hope they do this right, you know. <laughs> hope hope they don't screw it up. And, uh, man, the first look, I was like, whoa, that's cooler than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, and very few cars, I think, look good from all angles. And this is, you know, sure, I, I drive it and sure, I, I've won in it now. But when I first saw it, I was like, this thing, they got this right. Like, this is a, one of the, the badass cars I've ever seen and probably was going to go down in history no matter what is the feeling you got right when you saw it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a super secretive thing. And I was telling you, yes, like what I was talking about was, the, one of the funny early things is Scott and I were going to, we were finished up the season of DP. Uh, they had got the first test car built for, for the Ganassi program to go run at um, Daytona. And Scott and I were going to do the driving originally. Uh, and we were finished up Petit Le Mans and they wanted to do this swap over. They brought that GT test car in like a box van or something. I think they brought in another truck. And they wanted to swap before the end of the race. They wanted to get that the GT into our race truck. And the when we were done with the prototype, they were going to put that into the other truck. And we were just going to head off to Daytona and nobody's going to know about it, right? Well, that's the year, 2014, where it rained and rained and rained. They red flagged the race, started it, all that. So when they were preparing to get this thing out of there, when they thought everybody was going to be like kind of heading towards the podium and all that, they called the race early. Yeah, I think it was 2015. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, 20, uh, 2015. Sorry, yeah, 2015. And, uh, yeah, they call the race early, and this thing's just coming off the truck, and here comes all the fans. <laughs> and, 
we got it in town. They had to pull the, to get it, to get that car in our trucks still today, they have to pull the windows, the side windows out. And uh, one of the crew guys climbs in and out of the window, Dukes of Hazard style, because the wind, because the, the doors open up uh, so far outwards and upwards, they can't get in through the doors normally. So they're in there, you know, like first time they ever seen the car really trying to figure out how to pull the windows off. And everybody's like, Whoa, wait a second. What's that? And so this brand new black, all carboned out Ford GT is sitting in our, in our tent. And, and, uh, all of a sudden there's where all the, all the first pictures came from. So kind of, a, I mean, it was, it was going as to plan until they called the race and then there, there's everybody standing there. So that was a, that was a funny start to it, but you know, Scott and I got to go drive it that week at Daytona and, you know, you get your first impression like, man, this thing actually turns really good across apex it stops well you know you're looking for the problem and you're like this thing really could be this thing's got a lot of potential so and obviously now we know it it really did have a lot of potential and you were coming from uh being with bmw for many years uh, a lot of success obviously champion right winning championships yeah. with bmw winning all the big races in the american lamar series as a factory BMW guy in the same exact class. Um, so you obviously have a pretty healthy background in knowing what a GT car should feel like, what it should do. You also, yeah. with your open wheel background and your prototype experience, know the inherent limitations you often find with a road-based, a production-based car that's been turned into a, a you know full gt machine uh in racing form so that part i think is really interesting though joey because you had lived for years and whatever really cool bmw knowing that all right it's not going to tick all the boxes that i could wish for if i had say a a purebred uh indy car or prototype the fact that the gt really did remind you more of those cars than a road car uh definitely speaks to i think just how amazing the design is Absolutely. And that's, you know, I got, I've been lucky over the years. I mean, I've got to, to roll out a lot of new cars when I was with BMW and, and, and develop a lot of new stuff. Even in the Toy Atlantic days, I was, I rolled out, I was in the rollout for the Swift 014 chassis. And, you know, that took some development when we did it. And, um, you know, I've just spent a lot of time on development work, whatever it is, suspension, dampers, tires, brakes, you name it. I've got to do a lot of stuff. And so, this car had everything new. It was a new tire from Michelin. It was brakes that we hadn't run. It was suspension that had ever been run. The, the the more impressive part about it is that not you know most of the cars I had rolled out as a race car uh, had been a street car already in the past. This car hadn't been a street car yet. You know what I mean? This car was you know it the, the race car beat the street car to the to the asphalt, uh, if you will. So it didn't have a lot of, it's not like a streetcar had been out driving around and people got to see it or, or even, you know, I hadn't driven a streetcar version. I just jumped in the race car the first time and, and that's what we got to. And so, um, you know, that, that was my original feel. The other thing is, you know, moving the GT class moved a big step that year. That's the year that they added a lot more downforce. So bigger diffusers, bigger splitters, um, bigger wings, more dive planes, all that kind of stuff. So it was also just a different car to drive a little bit. So closer, the cool thing is it was closer to drive to a prototype. Um, and, uh, and even close, kind of closer to the DTM 
stuff that I had just most recently done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, let's just say it was a, a very good first shot, you know, like that they did. I mean, they did a great job from aesthetic design of it, making it look like a Ford GT from the sixties, a little, you know, having that his, historical look to it, but still being very, very technically advanced from what the cars were in the sixties, obviously, you know, so, um, it was, it was fun to get in that. And, you know, it's, it's like anything, when you look back at something, it's a lot, it ends up being a lot cooler, I guess you could say, Sure. you know, when you're in the moment, you're like, well, this is cool, but it's just another day driving race cars, developing, a, you know, developing something to go fast, right? Like just doing my job here. But now that we get to look back and we're talking about it and the things you're bringing up, it's like, man, this all really played out really well. I mean, this was first of all thought out well, and second of all, just played well, you know, and, uh, you know, the fact winning in 2016 at Le Mans and 17 at Daytona, I mean, you, this is not, this is really a book you couldn't, you couldn't even imagine to write, you know what I mean? So pretty cool to be, I, I'm excited to be part of it, you know, being able to see it from the beginning. It wasn't, wasn't long after that first drive at Daytona that, um, we started getting Westy in and Dirk in and Briscoe in. And uh, and then we got to go see where they're building the cars in this, you know, Skunk Works project in the basement at, at Dearborn and got to be part of the, like, design of the steering wheel for the street car, like the final design. It's mm. the knobs and sit in the, the actual street car seats and see the different uh, concept ideas they were doing with it and, just see how they did it. They designed our suits. Our, our suits were on the walls. This one room had our suits on the walls, our team shirts, everything from the steering wheel and the, and the wheels of the streetcar around this wall of this design center at the very end was the race car stuff with our suit designs that I'm still wearing at Lamal this year. So just a super advanced look the way they, the way they did this thing was just still kind of mind boggling. Joey, let's talk about an aspect of this program that I know you are particularly fond of, and it's the people. So that might sound like an obvious thing. In every sport, you know, the the players credit the team for their success, as they should. But I know that that's often a bit of a kind of a rote thing. But in this case, we can truly say... From Phil Banks to Matt Swan to Mike O'Gara to, again, we can run down the list on the crew side. These are not only some amazing people in terms of skill. This is a good group of bastards. Like, you you have the group. If you guys were not in racing, I could still see you inviting all of them over for barbecue. You know, these, this would be your barbecue buddies. This would be your softball team, uh, you know, regional softball team and whatnot. Let's just talk about the, the people that you work with that have made up this program. Cause you guys really have something special here. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. You know, I mean, that's where I, I always want to be ever since the IndyCar days when I was chasing chip and Mike Hall around Laguna Seca, um, watching Zanardi and Master Montoya drive there. I mean, I was always, I've been chasing the Ganassi thing for a while. So to drive on that team was basically a dream. 
but I never knew. I didn't really, when I was young, I didn't know why exactly that team was so good, you know? Um, and when you get into the program, you know, I spent one year just, you know, at Ganassi with the prototype before we moved even to the Ford GT, you recognize really quick that it's about the people. It's very strongly about the people. And, and you recognize that, holy cow, there's guys here, not just like a couple, but most of the place, you have guys at Chip Ganassi Racing that, you know, they didn't just end up at the top of the heap at the shop. You know, they've all, you know, like Mike Hall, he was a former Ford mechanic um, years ago and he worked his way up and now he's running Chip Ganassi Racing and has been for a while, one of the most successful race teams in the history of racing. Um, and that's the kind of guys you have, you know, my car chief, Tyler Reese is, uh, worked his way up and was on the IndyCar program, then came back for the Ford GT program. And, um, you know, Michael Gary's been all over, but, you know, Ford did a great, it was pretty smart of Ford to, to, first of all, hook up with Chip Ganassi Racing. But then you link, there's a lot of parts of this that, you know, a lot of people don't know about. Multimatic was the main design of the car with Larry Holt and his crew. And then Ford Performance is involved, but then so is Roush Yates engines. Um, so there's so many little things you could have, you could have a lot of difficulties with working with, you know, four huge, four or five huge, uh, entities, but it's been a program that everybody worked so good together. I mean, we have a core group of guys from Roush Yates, a core group from Ford performance. And then of course, all of our Ganassi guys and that core group from Multimatic. And, um, but you're right, especially, our team guys, like on our car, the 66 and 67 guys. Um, I mean, we go, it's funny you say it's the guys you would have over for a barbecue because it truly is. And I keep telling you guys, you come to California, my house is open. We're going to do something at hand splash. We're going to barbecue some smash burgers at hand smash at hand splash. <laughs> and, uh, I haven't quite got everybody there, but it, at Watkins Glen every year. So coming up even a couple weeks from now, Right around Fourth of July, every we stay at a, a Staybridge Suites there in Corning, and they have a, you know, basketball hoop, and they have cornhole. We barbecue out there, and everybody has a great time. So, it it really has, it really is a mega, the mega team, like the the team that you want to be on. Because I'm all about, you know me, I'm all about like the comfort, right? And I'm a big believer that comfort brings results and it doesn't just mean like the car's working for you uh, and all that it also means that when you get out of the car you feel like everybody's on your side you know like no matter if you did it good job or not so good job and that's the way these guys are they're more uplifting than any program i've been with they're always like hey don't worry about it man we're gonna get them if you say hey i need something in the cockpit change i've never seen it like there's no like oh man we gotta work no, it's like, is that going to make us faster? Great. Let's do it. Perfect. No problem. Let's do it. So <laughs> it's just been a, I don't know, it's been a fun time. It is a great group of guys. And, you know, you couldn't, again, you just couldn't write it, you know, when you, but when you do read some of the history, you're like, not far off of what happened in the 60s, to be honest. Like a couple groups came together, a couple key players uh, and a lot of good people and huge success so yeah it's a it's a place that i it's a group of people that i would love to you know run my career out with that's for sure let's start winding down joey with uh, another topic that's a personal source of fun so you get to drive 
with some crazy bastards. Uh, you and Dirk Mueller have been a really uh, not only successful but fun and funky pairing for a really long time. You've got uh, the Frenchiest of French in Sebastian Bourdais as one of your co-conspirators. Uh, across uh, the garage, you have Richard Westbrook, who, despite all of his failings in terms of personality and character, is not a bad race car driver. Um, you've got Ryan Briscoe, who is just, he's hilarious and ridiculously talented. Uh, there's some other guy that I believe joins them uh, in the endurance races as well. Anyways, all kidding aside, th- this team has been pretty amazing if we are looking at the driver rotation that you have been with uh, for many years now and uh, definitely going back to Le Mans. Tell me about working with these guys, and if you can, share some some stories about working with these nut jobs uh, on and off the track. Well, funky and fun is a that's a funny way. Well, it is funky and fun. If funky, when you get in the into our changing room there, that's definitely funky uh, after a race. But it's it is uh, it is a it's a cool group. I mean, you got to that's all credit to to Chip and Mike Hall. You know, they have a way of picking people uh, for success. It's it's really unbelievable to me. Um, but you know, you would never have thought back in the BMW days when Dirk and I got together, it was like, Whoa, a German living in Switzerland and a, a American from California are going to be great teammates. I don't know about that, but you know, we have a lot in common and, um, you know, we're like that married couple where one has one thing and one has the other, and that's what makes it work. You know, I'm more of the laid back version Dirk's always like, Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. And I'm like, let's, there's a time for it. Let's, let's think about it here. Let's just think it out, you know, but we can do that as a team. We're good at like talking it out, thinking it out. Uh, and then jamming these things at, at John Hennick and Michael Garrett to see which, which ones they think will work too. But, um, yeah. And then you got the Bordeaux, as I call him, you got <laughs> him sliding in there and you're like, Oh, this has just got a recipe for disaster. Now a German, a California and a Frenchman. Yeah. Uh, but he slides right in, man. And, you know, tons of respect for that guy because he can wheel, you know, he'll wheel an Indy car one day and the next day he's driving with us. And I know how hard that is. I've done it before where you go back and forth like that. And, um, you know, it's just, but there's a lot of good times. I mean, one thing is I bet people wouldn't believe how much Mexican food we eat. Um, (laughs) one, one week, one week deep into the 2017 season, I think it was. We ate Mexican food, at least Dirk and I. I don't want to say Westy and Briscoe all the time, but they're there a lot of the times. Don't let them fool you. Uh, but Dirk and I ate Mexican food seven times in six days. Are we talking Taco Bell or actual sit-down? Oh, no. Okay. No, 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 no. So no, you no, love no, yourselves a little bit. Okay. Oh, we go and eat. Yeah, we find places. This was in Atlanta, this was a period of time where we went testing Atlanta and racing in VIR like this longer trip. And that's how it ended up being, you know, like six days. And so we have these couple places, not couple, everywhere we race and go in the country and the world, we have these Mexican places we found obviously more so in the U S not so much in Europe because it's tough to find Mexican Europe. But, um, you know, we just, we're kind of creatures of habits, you know, Sebring done. We got a couple places there. Uh, 
you know, wherever we go, we got Mexican food. In Lamar, it's pizza. Every night, I told the guys the other day, I'm like, I've only eaten hospitality in this one pizza place in the city center of Lamar. That's the only place I've eaten. And the guy's like, every time I walk in, the French guy there goes, deja vu. <laughs> and every time I laugh, <laughs> even if it, I was just there for the test day, first time I saw him in a year, deja vu. Next day, deja vu. I was like, you're funny, man. But he doesn't speak English, so that's all he knows. So that's our thing, deja vu. So anyway, you've got this, you've got this four-time Champ Car champion as your endurance uh, partner uh, in your entry, and I was just being a little bit obtuse uh, earlier, but you've got now a five-time IndyCar Series champion in Scott Dixon uh, across the way in the uh, the Westy and Briscoe Mobile for the endurance races, and as you pointed out, and I just think this deserves just a, another acknowledgement. You know, if we're just talking fame in motor racing, when Bourdais comes and drives with you guys, he is by far the most well-known because of these, you know, big IndyCar championships. Scott Dixon as well, one of the most successful IndyCar drivers of all time when he comes in, obviously a huge name. One might think that these two open-wheel stars parachuting in might steal some glory or have put on airs or whatever else but the point you're raising here which again i just hope folks are are able to appreciate it's the exact opposite two of the coolest two of the coolest cats i know period and there's nine championships across the two of them you know i mean uh i mean dixie you know winning championships recently and being the guy to beat every week you know he just rolls in and what's up dude what's up bro just like that every time what's up bro i'm like what's up dixie and just go about our thing man just they hop in they drive same with borday you know borday and i when we first came in you know you're new to each other but now four years down the road we're buddies i texted him right after the indy 500 this year i'm like dude that that sucked and he's like uh you know car was tough in traffic this and that whatever but it's just you know we're we're buddies we text him back and forth whatever and they don't you know, Sebastian, he knows what he's getting into. Dirk and I are there every week. We're tuned on the car every week. And it's definitely, you know, these these guys do a quick switch. They go from being there. They're the number one at any car deal. There's not even another driver. It's them. Like the seat fittage is for them. The car handling is for them. Um, and they got to roll into this and they got to just drive with these, This like especially for Bordeaux, you got to drive with this German and this California kid came up with and uh, and deal with it. And, you know, I, I'm sure it's a big culture shock every week they show up, but they're still cool about it. They still roll in and get the job done. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, that's what's, that's what's fun. You know, the Ganassi program has always been about um, team players. That's the big thing at Chip Ganassi Racing is team players. And it's definitely that in the driver lineup uh, for sure. And they don't, you know, Mike Cole will tell you right, right straight up. And Chip Gass will tell you, we're all about team players. And, and it just goes right down the list. The, the crew guys, Mike Cole, Chip, all team players. And that's, uh, these guys are the same way. They found the right crew. Well, let's close on this, knowing that you are preparing to do your final 24 hours of competition with the factory Ford GT effort. What comes to mind, Joey, in terms of favorite memories of 
the uh, the 24 hour events you've done with this team starting in 2016 are there any particular times in the car uh, at a one of the uh, the handful of events that you just really hold on to is like wow that was special or being oh. on the podium spraying champagne you know share some right. of those thoughts always always winning the mall especially the way we won it man uh you know with in 2016 i mean that's going to be it one of the biggest things that ever happened to me, no matter what, to go back on cue 50 years later to the day to win that race, exactly what Ford wanted to do. That's always going to be huge. But, you know, in that race, I was in the car that made and made the final pass on the Ferrari. You know, we had worked on Dirk was in the car and was working on run down the Ferrari. Then I caught him from 14 seconds back, passed him on the, on the Mulsanne straight. And, um, you know, that was a big one to me, especially looking back at like the documentary or any of the highlights, even some of the highlights Ford performance just put out. When I do that pass on the Ferrari, the whole garage erupts, Bill Ford and Etzel and Henry Ford and everybody erupts as like that happened, you know? And that was, we never gave it back after that. We, we <laughs> that sale, made a, made a gap and, you know, I was in the race, but yeah, that was a big one to me, but you know, just, I think just the times, just the, everything has been just feels like, to be honest with you, I mean, with just saying what I feel, it feels like somebody could write a book about this, which they did, but even more so than just the 2016 win at Lamar, just the people, like you said, these crew guys that are, we got some, some of the most famous crew guys in racing on our team and not just like a couple, like the whole crew is famous. You know, uh, I just feel like there, we've got a, a crew to write to write about. You know, and I, I think that's going to be the thing that always sticks with me. Well, my friend, I hope that this final blast around Circuit de la Sarthe is something that you can enjoy, soak it in. I know you and the rest of the team have jobs to do, so it's a little hard to be misty-eyed, and nostalgic while trying to. Th- chuck your car down the inside of a corvette or a porsche or whatever but i hope you're able to walk away at the end of sunday with a real sense of pride and appreciation for what you and the team have helped done and also to just help uh the blue oval write another really cool yeah. chapter yeah absolutely i think we got a shot at it you know this year again i think we we got a shot to put another win up there we got four cars that can do it i think i got a really good feeling i was real comfy at the test day so you know, I think we got a got a good look at it, but it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future holds uh, here. You know, I think uh, there's tons of possibilities, but uh, we're going to go for it. That's for sure. I'm- Mr. Hull, we have what is sadly the culmination of the Ford GT program at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Again, from a factory standpoint, who knows if some privateers will represent the cars in the future but thought it might be interesting as we do say farewell uh, this weekend share some thoughts on how this program came to life how ford chip ganassi racing got these twin turbo v6 supercars up to speed so quickly also what it's been like trying to remain competitive in a balance of performance world so not sure where we should start, but maybe uh, maybe how about forming this European team, the European aspect of Ford Chip Ganassi Racing that 
is definitely half of the fighting strength this weekend at Le Mans. I, I think uh, uh, maybe that's a good foundational point. The um, uh, Ford wanted to recreate uh, in the current uh, uh, landscape something similar to what they did in the 60s, which is they had multiple teams running GT40s uh, simultaneously in hopes that they would win the race. One team would excel uh, with a combination of drivers, preparation, strategy, um, and the rest in order to be able to do that. So when the opportunity uh, came came to us uh, to be able to be part of a global program, not just a North American program that would go to Le Mans, uh, it, it's pretty hard to pass that up. Um, so that that meant that there were four cars at Le Mans that were run under the banner of Chip Ganassi Racing, two of which were in the WEC series, the Global Series, and were prepared in the UK, and and two of which were for the IMSA series, the North American series. And uh, um, the difference probably is today that there was a total share of information between the two teams, uh, and not necessarily a competitive a competitive situation between the teams, uh, which. It is maybe slightly different than what they had in the 60s, uh, from what I've read anyway, and and what I've heard. That was the first thing. The second thing is, is Doug Gates was very instrumental in 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 helping to put this thing together. Uh, he had gone to Ford and uh, said to them, you know, you need to try to get one of the best teams if you can uh, involved in the project. And so that began for us well before the GT car was a car that mm. helped, you know, that helped us when we were uh, going to go pro- when we were still prototype racing in in the DP series in North America, so that the engine side, the engine and, and the engine package uh, could be developed prior to the start of the GT car itself. So the GT car was already happening; nobody knew about it. Uh, we worked on the engine side of thing in the accessory package, the turbos, the way they're fed. Uh, the way they're cooled, all the rest of the things in the DP car for two solid years, which include being able to uh, uh, electronically control the engine, map the engine, and do all the things that were necessary to race the engine. So that then fed itself right into the GT car when it was time to go. Um, and Doug was certainly very instrumental in all of that. Um, and the relationship there has been very strong uh, across both uh, forms of uh, GT racing, both uh, the WEC program and the IMSA program. Uh, so that's in common. Um, and that information has been fed back and forth across the Atlantic uh, to help the car to, to try to minimize the problems the cars could have uh, or to try to uh, reduce uh, trial and error uh, with, with what was going on. So I, I think that was really, really good. And then the second thing that was in common, obviously, is the Ford family. And they were primary and in, 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 in instrumental in driving the program forward. Um, and uh, they found a great group of people in Multimatic that designed the, designed the car. And I think that they found a great peop- a group of people uh, in motor racing who understand how to race a car. And that would be Chip Ganassi Racing. So uh, when you think about all those moving parts and the fact that they, got, they were put together well and well in advance – um, uh, 
the process itself uh, revealed as we went along in racing uh, how well-founded and, and how well-researched it was before it began. You know, one thing that stands out, Mike, and this isn't just trying to blow smoke, but knowing Chip Ganassi Racing's history of working with multiple major auto manufacturers in racing initiatives, so I don't just mean getting an engine supply from Pick the Brand, but actually true full integration on the marketing side, engineering side, et cetera, et cetera. That to me really stands out as one of the the core aspects that allowed Ford Chip Ganassi Racing, the Ford brand itself, Ford Performance. Um, you mentioned uh, the Roush Yates folks looking at Multimatic. I mean, we can even go down to Michelin, and, and I'm sure there are some other vendors slash partners I'm forgetting, but the ability to come straight out of the box and win your very first 24 hours of Le Mans, not saying other teams could not do that, but I do believe the decades of experience, whether it's sports cars, indie cars, NASCAR, there's something innate within the experience of this group that allowed you all to take that experience of integrating with manufacturers and key partners and make this really effective right away. I think that's right. I think maybe... Well, uh, when we went to Le Mans the very first year with all four cars uh, running in the race, um, I don't know that the competition thought too much about us. <laughs> you know, it was like the first year of racing there, and, and I'm sure they thought, oh, well, those guys, those guys are uh, – going to have a lot of issues, particularly the people from the United States, because they don't understand how to race here. Uh, and they're going to go through all the teething issues that they go through in the first year based on the experiences that they've had over, over time. So I think we were probably overlooked, which helped us. Um, and when the race was over, I, there was a great comment from Chip. And uh, it was from one of the Ford family members. And he said to Chip, I didn't think we could win like the first year. Right. And Chip said, I did. (laughs) 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 That may not seem like a big deal, but you know, we, we worked really, really hard to be ready. Uh, Frankly, we, we thought, and, and it's very accurate. It's a very huge mountain to climb for an IMSA team to go to Le Mans. Uh, and it would be a very big mountain to climb for a WEC team to come and race in IMSA at the beginning, simply because of the way the race itself is administered and what you have to do to race, uh, in this case, Le Mans. What Le Mans does is it rewards raw speed for 24 hours and the least amount of time in the pit lane. Racing in the United States is about that, but it's, it's, uh, it's somewhat uh, regulated because the pit lane closes in the United States, which allows everyone to pack up and it allows l- lapped cars to get their lap back. Whereas at Le Mans, you don't race like that. It, it's a, ter- it, it's really a terrific place to race because if you have a fast car and you're flawless, you're going to be at the front at the end, no matter what. Uh, if you fall behind at Le Mans, 
there would need to be a lunar eclipse for you to catch up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the only way you're going to catch up is for the people that are leading to fall out of the race. So you race as hard as you can at Lamar if you're behind, even if you're on the lead lap, in hopes that that your your uh, competitors have an issue. So that makes up the, the the time deficit. So it's a totally different way to race. Um, and uh, I love it because you just race your car as fast as you can. And uh, uh, you have drivers who rotate through the car that understand that basic concept. And if they've grown up racing just in IMSA, it's way, way different than what they're used to doing. Uh, so that part in itself, winning in the first year, the American team winning in the first year, to me was extraordinary uh, because it goes against a lot of the things that we do in preparation for a race in North American sports car racing. Um, uh, since that time, once everybody realized that we were uh, on the map, uh, <laughs> they, they've made it very, they've made it more difficult for us to do that with BOP. But in, in reaction to that, uh, good race teams work around the BOP regulation and they work on racecraft harder. They work on their program harder. They work on all those things. And, uh, you, you retain a, you have to retain a very positive attitude about what you're going to get out of the car on a given day. Um, and, and I think we've done a really good job with that with both the WEC team and the, uh, and the IMSA team. Um, and we'll go to Lamar with that same attitude and, uh, see what, what it gives us this year. So as a bit of a man of the people, Mr. Hull, would love to get your thoughts on how you have seen this Ford GT program has been received. And where you have an interesting datum point is you obviously ran and facilitated a Ford DP program. So you were part of the blue oval family if we're talking in sports cars before the gts came along transitioned from one to the next but you got a feel for how folks received having the ford name in prototypes what have you seen in the now fourth year of this gt program of how folks receive actual production-based ford gt cars fighting against corvettes porsches bmws ferraris aston martins what are what have folks told you since they've made yeah, this move? They, well, you, you don't see it as much in in we didn't see it as much in prototype racing with the Ford package as we did. What we didn't see as much of uh, was in the GT uh, racing uh, the passion of street automobile people. They are, they are very, very uh, restricted almost in what they think we should be racing or who we should be racing against. You have people who are Corvette people. You have people who are Porsche people. You have people who are BMW people. You have people who are Ford people and so on. And it is, it is like cutthroat, passionate people. And, uh, uh, they're either for you or they aren't. <laughs> and uh, so you do see that uh, much more so in GT style racing than you do, I think, in prototype racing. Uh, perhaps in North America, as it goes forward with what IMS is doing, that will change. It probably will. Uh, but uh, 
they 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 directly associate with what they drive on the street with what we race on the racetrack and uh i've been absolutely amazed at the people that have just come up out of the crowd and say you know i remember this and i remember that about ford racing here and ford racing here and ford racing here and you'll have somebody who who's is now generationally challenged like i am uh that say i remember in the 60s what happened I remember how they beat Ferrari at Le Mans. Uh, I remember what Henry the Ford, Henry Ford II, did to push motor racing. Uh, that was so huge for us, and uh, uh, we we see today so much of that, um, and uh, it makes it fun. Um, and I would say about the Ford, about Ford Motor Company, in terms of of being a, a manufacturer of automobiles. The family itself is still directly involved in their product, and they they take such pride in their product uh, because of their heritage and their lineage, um, and they it means a lot to them for the car to win because they're they represent as family members their entire company and. It goes back to you know the sweeps the the sweepstakes time with with uh, Henry Henry Ford himself and how he put himself on the map in terms of being able to produce a production automobile by winning money <laughs> in winning a motor race um, and it means a lot to them to uh, generationally carry that on carry that down down the down the uh, down the field. Um, and it means a lot to us to be part of that family because we feel the passion from the family members themselves. Mike, let's close on reflections and, and stories. You're one of my favorite storytellers. I've only told you this a hundred <laughs> times. You share any thoughts about uh, what will now be the team's fourth visit to Le Mans? So obviously, we're talking about the previous three, but are there any stories you can share from the events battles during the race well, and moments yeah, behind I, I the scenes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know about the stories. We can probably do something, but the thing is, is, is as an American, you read about Lamar, you read about the history of Lamar, you read about the, the great drivers who have driven there and some have won and some have never won there that tried to win. Uh, but you don't realize as an American until you've gone there, the magnitude of the event. It's not just a motor race. It, it's a globally significant event. Um, and, uh, and after the race is over, they cannot control the spectators <laughs> and you'd better you better get out of the way because they're going to surf right over the top of you. Um, and when that entire front straightaway fills up with spectators, you realize how many people are actually at the event. It's a little hidden because of the length of a lap and where they camp and what they do. But I just could not believe uh, that, first of all. Then secondly, when we won the first year, it was – a very emotional experience uh, for for myself and certainly all the people that work for us because 
we finished first and third in that race. Uh, and the team that finished second was the Reese team with a Ferrari. So that was a little bit of a throwback deal. And, uh, but they were all three American entrants. So when the GTE pro part of the podium happened, there were nine drivers that nine drivers that came out there, three for each car. And they raised three American flags on the podium and played the national arm the American national, the United States national anthem. Uh, that gave you, gave you such a, f- a feel of pride for the fact that you were representing the United States in an, in, in an international event and the podium totally represented that. Um, and to me, that was, I don't know that I'll ever quite experience anything like that. And and I felt afterwards, you know, this is what the Olympic athletes must feel like, or people that race, you know, people that race uh, or are involved in sporting events um, in foreign countries uh, when as an American, you win. Um, And uh, uh, I, that was, that, that was such a, such a, almost a, uh, that's one of life's moments for me in motor racing that, I'll always remember and I'll always cherish. Um, and uh, I think everybody took pride in that. Uh, in the first the first year that we were there when we won the race, there were a lot of people whose last name was Ford. <laughs> uh, and uh, we all felt like we won it for them. Uh, we could see the pride in their faces and and the emotion uh, that they they outwardly displayed. Uh, and we realized how important it was to that family to represent them there. And, and, and I thought that was, that, that was really terrific. Um, and then I would say that un, I think the French uh, take a ba- they kind of take it on the chin by a lot of people in the United States. And for us, that's very unfounded because what they did was they they put their arms around us and they accepted us at face value when we first arrived there and we didn't know what to expect <laughs> but the expectation was uh uh met with the reality of of such a positive experience they made sure that we understood what what we needed to do they they coached us through all the process um from walking in the front door with administration through the technical program, through racing itself. And, uh, uh, they, they didn't make, they, they, they didn't make it easy for us, but they didn't make it hard for us either. And, uh, uh, they understood that we were there to race. And I think that when, when everything was done or when, when this whole situation is over, at least presently for us, we would look forward to representing a factory and going back to race at Le Mans. Uh, and I think that they would accept us, uh, um, in return. And, uh, uh, it's been uh, such a terrific experience and you can see then how important, uh, that race is to win again. (laughs) Uh, and it would be great to win, win that race again. Well, let's close on this then, Mike. So we don't know what the future will hold on the Chip Ganassi racing side. Obviously, Le Mans is the swan song for the WEC program, this being the conclusion of the super season. We know that we have the IMSA side of the 4GT effort and its finale here in a couple of months at Petit Le Mans. 
don't know what will happen in terms of the amazing crew and engineers and everything that's been put together. Obviously we're hoping to read in the coming months that they will be working on something different, uh, but staying in the sports car space until we get to that news. If, and when it does happen, maybe just share some thoughts about some of the folks who have come together. I don't know if I want to say behind the scenes, but you know, those that are, whether they are tightening bolts, making calls on setup changes or strategy, driving a truck, this is really, this team itself as joey hand told me the the team itself not the drivers not the big names not those necessarily just named ford but those who might not whose names might not be known by the public they deserve a book on their efforts alone maybe you can share some stories about some of those folks and what's made them so unique to make this team so unique i i think i every team member that we have um no matter where they started life at Chip Ganassi Racing, and have ended, and and their present uh, position is is on the uh, IMSA team, on the sports car team. Uh, what's great about the culture at Chip Ganassi Racing is that they they support each other, uh, and they're very unselfish in what they do. And I and I understand what Joey's saying, uh, because when you step into when you step inside the ropes at Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, Everyone is treated equally, and we all sense uh, success and failure together. Uh, success drives it upward, but failure is probably more important because it makes you work. You don't work any harder, but it it, it helps you to, to uh, think outside the boundary, and I think that we listen to each other when that happens. Um, and it doesn't really matter what your vocation is at Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, we listen to you. Um, and, uh, um, when the IndyCar guys, the IndyCar team's in trouble and everybody's in the building, the sports car guys pitch in when the sports car team is in trouble and the IndyCar, IndyCar group is there, they pitch in. And for me, that's probably what I remember more about going to work every day is the fact that, uh, people aren't afraid to help each other. And, uh, um, the drivers that work for us on the IMSA team, the two permanent drivers in each car, and then Sebastian and, and Dixon who drive as third drivers understand that everything is right for them when they step in the car. And, uh, that gives them a lot of confidence that <laughs> you might not have, uh, in some forms of motorsports. Um, and I, and I, and I think that, uh, trying really, really hard to leave everything done rather than undone, um, is what our group of people do well. Um, and those are the things that I'll remember. Um, and the roster itself is filled with uh, very special people who care about making a difference and, uh, and have set their mark in motor racing. And uh, that whole group of people will look back someday at what they did and realize how important it actually has been uh, for, first of all, for themselves and uh, for Chip Ganassi racing, but more importantly, the, uh, the mark they've left on motor racing uh, in this particular era of time, uh, this particular um, uh, aspect of time, uh, that's 
And you know what? Uh, the next program, <laughs> they'll do well with the next program as a group of people. So uh, hopefully we can announce that soon. Thanks again to Mark Rushbrook, Joey Hand, and Mike Hull for helping us to take a brief tour down memory lane. It wasn't that long of a lane to begin with. We were hoping certainly it would be longer, but nonetheless, confident the Chip Ganassi folks will indeed be back in sports car racing next year, running someone's program, at least in the U.S., very possible the Multimatic side that runs the effort out of the UK they are working hard to try and keep the cars possibly in privateer hands in the WEC for the next super season so still some news to come there and very hopeful that these GTs do not go away altogether even if the factory is no longer entering them going forward all right I am Marshall Pruitt this is the Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires the Justice Brothers, and Genetic Cars. Thank you for listening.